Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. We are back talking about humanity and the image of God in our series, Male and Female Created He Them. This week, we are moving into what we're calling the creational pattern for men, women, and family, God's blueprint that we find in Scripture. And so we'll be talking about that together. And when I say we, I, of course, mean myself and the beloved Matt Barfield. Hello there. And uh, our friend, Pastor Brandon. I'm just glad you didn't call me beloved. <laughs> oh, I was like, okay, well, there you go. I, was, I thought you might be upset by that. No, I'm it was fine. a step down from it. Right. Sure thing, beloved. You're still a brother beloved. <laughs> it's um, in the Bible, Let's Brandon. talk about this other pattern right. we see here. Yes, the pattern for uh, men, women, and family. So I start with the illustration, you know, and it's kind of a ridiculous mental picture, but I think it helps us to think about our culture. Imagine a new home is about to be built. And so obviously whenever you're going to build a new home, there's got to be a blueprint. So a blueprint's drawn up. You've got sewage, water, electric foundation. Everything is considered. There's a careful plan. Here's what the doors are going to be. Uh, the foreman in charge of building the house shows up, takes one look at the blueprint, <laughs> blueprint laughs and says, boys, I think we know how to build a house. And the crew then proceeds to throw the blueprint away and just build the house however they think. Pipes go wherever the individual crew member th- thinks will work. Shape of the house doesn't really match what the customer ordered. Uh, layout stores are just added where individual members think they'll work. No one's paying attention to support structures or make sure the weight is evenly distributed. Everyone does what seems right to them. And we have basically a foreman with us. Pastor Brandon, if, if somebody tried to build a house like that, how would it go? Someone would get electrocuted, I think. <laughs> yeah. it, it would not work well. Are you expecting a deeper answer than that? Well, yeah. where would I, the I sewage end up? That's what I'm worried about. <laughs> like, what happens when you flush that commode? That's what I'm worried about. So if you can... As long as there's a hole in the ground. It, it goes just out. goes down just goes somewhere. somewhere. Um, and the reason I, I start with that is because we, we obviously understand the importance of a blueprint. If you're going to build something, you've got to have a blueprint. God gave us a blueprint. And when we look at the culture around us and we see the confusion and the chaos, what we have to realize is that as a whole, we have taken God's blueprint and we have said as a culture, we know better. Uh, we don't have to follow this. We can do it better than the blueprint. Mm-hmm. And uh, what you see in our culture is, is basically the same level of chaos you would expect of a construction site where there's no blueprint. Everyone's just doing whatever they think uh, seems best to them. When it comes to God's blueprint, Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and chapter 3 as well gives us really God's blueprint for how men and women are supposed to relate to each other. When asked about marriage, Jesus goes back to Genesis 1 to 2. Uh, when discussing marriage and men and women relating in the home and the church, Paul goes back to Genesis 1 and 2. Which means if we want to have successful marriages, churches, and families, we need to get back to God's blueprint. Um, sadly, the world we're living in rejects this pattern. Why do you think it is that the world rejects God's pattern? I think it's just that spirit of rebellion mm-hmm. that here's here's what the rule is. Here's what's here's the ideal. Here's what it is. Here's the truth. And then just says, no, nah, I'm going to do something different. I we mean, will not have this man to rule over there's us. There's a lot of junior higher in all of us. I mean, I think the world's got a lot of that, that sort of like, do I really have to do that? Do I really have to do that? And uh, so I think that's the, the initial problem comes from that spirit of rebellion. Yeah, and I think I, I, I look biblically at James 1 and other passages about when, when lust, con- lust conceives, it brings forth sin. We just have these desires that don't line up with God's blueprint. Yeah. And that's the, the twisted nature of our, of our flesh, the fallen nature of our flesh. And um, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And when my desire uh, is in contrast to God's desire, a lot of times 
we choose our own desire. A lot of times, I get what I want. A lot of times, our sin is simply, I want to. Right, and it's feelings. Yeah, I just want to. There's no good reason. I I want to. Yeah, and I I mean, you see that in in kids. You see that in adults. You You don't say it. There was an article in the New York Times about somebody who is about to undergo a a transition. Somebody who is transitioning, attempting to transition from one gender to another. And uh, the title of the article was a little bit lewd. I'll kind of clean it up. But it basically was, I know that my new body part won't make me happy. Mm. And it shouldn't have to. And the argument was that was being made was somebody who, who, who looked at the studies and they knew that transgender people who begin taking hormones and transgender people who undergo surgery are, are statistically not happier. In fact, the likelihood of suicide goes up. Mm. And they said, I know that. And what they were responding to is an argument that was out there that said, well, if you take a Hippocratic oath – and you as a doctor pledge to never do anything that will harm a patient, and you know that this surgery is is like, is like <clears throat> going to make it more likely that they commit suicide, shouldn't you not do the surgery? And the response was, look, I know it's not going to make me happy, but I want it, and that's all that should matter. Yep. And I thought, man, that is, <laughs> that is the creature rebelling and saying, I know I'm rebelling, I know it's wrong, I don't care. I know it's not going to bring me happiness, I know it's not. And in the article, it was, it was really sad, this... A man who wanted to become a woman uh, said, you know, I've begun taking uh, hormones. And since I've been taking hormones, my depression has increased. I've, you know, I've had more thoughts of suicide. And they're like, I, and I know that this is not going to make things better, but I don't care. I want it. And it's just, you, you look at somebody who's been that corrupted by Satan where they're to the point where they don't even desire their best interest. Yeah. Yep. They know it's not their best interest, but that's what they want. So that's mm. all that matters. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, you know, there, there are some things about creation. It's groaning and travailing because of the curse of sin. That's certainly happening. But there are some things that still work. You know, there's something, life still begets life. That still works the way God made it. And to see someone try to further damage that is truly discouraging. It's, it's terrible. It's a terrible thing to see. You're taking what's left of this thing that's been scarred, and you're making it worse. Yeah. So uh, definitely some sobering thoughts as we think about that. Um, but let's, uh, let's take a little bit of time and we'll look at God's pattern. We're going to look, uh, first of all, at God's pattern for marriage. And uh, then we're going to look at God's pattern for men and women. This is going to be, again, this is the blueprint. So we're going to dive down into these issues more in coming weeks. But we'll just do kind of a, a flyover of some of these things. When we come to God's pattern for marriage, uh, the lesson, we go to an unusual place. We actually go to uh, Jesus' teaching on divorce. <clears throat> You may say, okay, well, why are, we, why are we leading off with divorce? Because the way that Jesus answers the question is interesting. If you go to Matthew chapter 19, what you have to understand is that there's a background there of the scribes, or actually of the Pharisees, having a, a debate about Deuteronomy 24.1. In fact, if you read uh, the King James Version, it says that, can a man put away a wife for every cause? And really what they're asking is, can we divorce her for any reason that we want? And this was a debate that they were having. Uh, Deuteronomy 24.1, it says that you could translate for the indecency of a thing. Some took that as indecency. This is talking about uh, immorality. Some took it as a thing. And so anything, if, if it's a thing and you don't like it, you can get a divorce, which is the ancient equivalent of the no-fault divorce. Mm. And so they come to Jesus with this question. And what's important to realize is this is a specific legal question about a text in Deuteronomy. And Jesus does not go to Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. He goes to Genesis. And he answers the question in a way that's totally unexpected by them. He says, Genesis 1 and 2, well, God, you know, God created the male and female. What God has put together, don't let man tear apart. Which means that for Jesus, uh, the question 
that needs to be answered is what was the original pattern? What was the blueprint? Um, and he includes in that, we see here, first of all, that marriage is between males and females. And what's interesting is that that is not part of the Genesis 2 instruction on marriage. That comes from Genesis 1. Jesus stitched together these two passages because he is giving God's broad definition of what marriage is. Now, you'll often hear uh, those who are arguing for the LGBTQ movement say, Jesus never mentioned homosexuality. And if you mean by that, he never explicitly and specifically said, you cannot engage in homosexual activity or behavior, that would be accurate. Um, But when you look at this passage, it's very clear that for Jesus, if you want to know what marriage is, go back to the beginning. And he clarifies, in the beginning, it was male and female. Uh, Why do you think it is that Jesus doesn't mention the issue of homosexuality more directly? Well, when you're trying to, uh, I always hate using the word trying to or attempting to in in light of anything Jesus said or did, because he's doing what he's doing and no one will stop him. So I hate to say trying, but at any rate, when you are Jesus and you are affirmatively accomplishing this thing, you state what you are doing. You state the plan. Uh, There's a thousand ways to destroy it. There's a thousand ways to fall off course, but this is what we're accomplishing. And so I think one of the reasons is if you, as you found probably in youth ministry, if you tell somebody what not to do, and describe it in great detail. That's the first thing they go do, hmm. right? So by by describing this thing that's right, here's the right thing: male, female, marriage. Right? This is the thing. So now we've that's excluded necessarily everything else. Yeah, um, and also it probably it wasn't what was on the forefront of their minds. Um, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't as big of a cultural conversation as it is today. But I I don't think it's irrelevant. It, it's one of the first passages I go to. Um, when I'm talking about this issue, because, hey, God says, here's what it's supposed to look like, and everything outside of that is an aberrant view of, of what marriage is. Um, and uh, then you go to Hebrews 11, and, I mean, it, it says everything within marriage is undefiled. And if homosexuality doesn't fall within God's definition all the way back in creation, what it's supposed to look like, then it, it doesn't fall into the definition of marriage and therefore would be aberrant. And I think, first of all, you say he used the word aberrant. That wasn't my word. That was his <laughs> word. I would have pronounced it aberrant. But anyway, I get it. Oh, Thank you. So You complimented so, me a, by <laughs> also saying I said it incorrectly. No, I totally get it right. Uh, well, I'm glad Brandon said it then, said so it I knew is, what word we were talking about. He said about. it right. Yeah. yeah, he probably said it right. Um, yeah, uh, so, so what's interesting is it wasn't that homosexuality was unknown at that time. It's that it wasn't conflated with marriage right hmm. and so so when jesus is talking about marriage he's talking about a certain thing and this this kind of activity that we're discussing this aberrant or aberrant behavior <laughs> is is outside of the pale it's a different discussion altogether mm-hmm. what are they doing they're doing something else right mm-hmm. that's dealt with in the scriptures it's described it's, it's it's dealt with it's not because he's giving it a pass it's because he's talking about something completely different yeah well in mm. The, yeah. One of the interesting things to notice, too, is think about the who's the audience. Jesus is is dealing primarily with Jews. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not a question for Jews. Like, again, you go back culturally, it, it was a problem in Greece and Rome. Not among the Jews. The Jews had the law. The law was very clear on this, and the Jews are very clear on this. It's wrong. It's gross. Don't do it. Now, were there individual exceptions? I, I mean, I'm sure. Um, but as a whole, the culture rejected this, so Jesus had no need to speak to it. Um when you look at Paul, Paul's dealing with Gentiles. Paul brings it up. Mm-hmm. Paul mentions it. He says, you can't do that. That's one of those nasty things that the Gentiles do that you used to do. You can't do that anymore. Um, 
And he mentions that in, obviously, in Romans 1. Uh, he also mentions it in 1 Corinthians 6, and I believe uh, 1 Timothy 1. Uh, all of these passages mention that. Somebody else made the point once that I thought was really good. They said, you know, Jesus also didn't mention pedophilia. He also didn't mention bestiality or incest. And he said there's some things that to even be having the conversation, it's a, it's a, it's a loss. Yeah. The fact that we even have to, that we even have to talk about this. Mm-hmm. And with the Jews, he didn't, he didn't go into every imaginable type of sexual perversion because those, those weren't the issues. The issues with them was their pride and their self-righteousness and their lack of love for their neighbor. And he nailed them on those and right. their rejection of God's word. And he nailed them on that. And then when Paul goes out to the Gentiles and he's dealing with other problems, he brings those in as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so uh, we see also in this that God's pattern is that it's male and females. We also see that it is a lifelong commitment. And there's all kinds of uh, nitpicky technical debates going on about what exactly counts for divorce and what is the exception here for fornication and why do Mark and Luke not include it. And rather than dive into all of that, I, I just want to kind of zoom back and get the big picture view. The big picture view is that Jesus is holding to a very strong view on the permanence of marriage, whatever the particulars of that wash out to be. And we live in a culture that's the exact opposite. So why does our culture push back against the permanency of marriage? I think it goes back to something I I even said. In our culture, our ultimate authority, so to speak, our culture's ultimate authority is, is feelings, emotions, thoughts, and feelings aren't permanent. And, I mean, they, they're even changing marriage vows till, uh, till love do its so long as we so both, long show, as we both up. show love. Yeah. Um, so th- immediately, I mean, talk about setting yourself up to fail. <laughs> what are you right. even doing here? Um, so long as this happy feeling goes away. Right. And they've removed the, the pattern and the authority that God has set this up and put the authority on their feelings and emotions. And Well, the enemy wants to remove this yes. relationship. Mm-hmm. This, is a, this is a part of God's revelation of the relationship that his people have to him. Mm-hmm. So Ephesians 5 talks very clearly about husbands and wives, what they're supposed to do in light of the relationship to each other, but then what that reveals about God's relationship to his people. So husbands love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now he goes on to this huge discussion of what Christ did for the church. He might sanctify and cleanse it, present it to himself, a glorious church, holy without blemish. He goes through all of that. And then he says, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. And it goes through, again, the Genesis stuff, leave father and mother. Um, and then he says, this is a great mystery. So this marriage thing reveals something that we would not otherwise have revealed. God's explained it in his word, and it's lived out through marriage when it's done God's way. That's the plan. Enemy hates that, wants to tear it apart. I love the way he ends this chapter because he describes this glorious thing, this big thing. Husbands, your your love to your wife is like Christ loving the church. Get a big vision of that. And then he ends with, nevertheless, like, <laughs> like you're probably not going to get all this. <laughs> it's going to be hard for you to see. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife sees she reverence her husband. To sum up, like, <laughs> yeah. love them, reverence them. Okay, go. Yeah, <laughs> because it's because it is big. It's such a big thing, and the devil hates it. The enemy hates it. We we want to be on the side of of life. We want to be on the Lord's side of this thing, and say this is a big deal, and we want to hold to the permanency of marriage. And I I think you jumped ahead to that next question. What is lost when marriage is treated cheaply, and mm-hmm. immorality and divorce are rampant? We we lose that picture of the faithfulness yeah. of God towards His people. Yeah, I preached um, through the book of Hosea, and uh, one commentator made a, a statement that really stuck with me. He said, you know, 
the the message of of Hosea is in many ways that the the love of God and I'm paraphrasing him here is a is kind of a fearsome thing because he will not he use the phrase he will not lessen the pain of the relationship either through compromise or through quitting. God's not going to compromise and be like, all right, well, I guess if you want to worship your idols, you can. And he's not going to quit and be like, all right, well, I guess I'm done with you then. Which, you know, from a human perspective, those would almost be preferable because what is it then? Well, what it, what he ends up coming to is I'm going to stick with this and life is going to get very miserable for you because I'm going to fight for you. Mm. And, um, you know, obviously in the, in the present that for Israel, that that's pretty awful. That's Assyria coming. And as he says at the end of the book, you know, just awful atrocities of, of war that are coming their way because God is not going to quit on them. And no matter what it takes, he's going to win them back. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you, when divorce is cheap and easy and quick and the, the culture's mindset is, well, it doesn't work. Let's quit. I'm so glad God doesn't do that. Amen. And um, you know, we have a, we have a responsibility to, to image, image that, to show that to the world. This is what God's love for his people looks like. And we do that through this, uh, sacred union of marriage. And then finally, we see marriage provides for the raising of children. God's plan from the beginning was for man to fill the earth. That's part of the dominion mandate. Scripture sees children as a great blessing. And speaking of the enemy, going all the way back to Genesis and Exodus, we see him attacking the family, whether that's Cain and Abel in Genesis 4, whether that's Pharaoh seeking to slaughter the firstborn uh, or all the men children because uh, the Israelites are doing what God told them to do. They're being fruitful and they're multiplying. Um, the general pattern is that God wants married couples to have children, and for Christians specifically to have children and to disciple children. Now, it's true that some believers uh, never marry, and Christ allows for this, and Paul celebrates it. Uh, some believers can't have children because of the brokenness of the fall, and that doesn't preclude them from living God-glorifying lives and having God-glorifying marriages. But the general pattern is for believers to marry and to have children. And we are in a culture right now that has completely rejected that. So what are some of the, uh, the other ways that our culture has rejected? Well, let me, I'm sorry, let me ask this. Why is it that we live in a culture that does not value having children? Well, it's becoming increasingly secular. And I, I was a radio host, Dennis Prager, who pointed out that only religious people have children. Uh, and that's just generally speaking. It's kind of a rule of thumb. Religious people have kids and irreligious people generally don't. Um, and I think that comes from when you believe that God's in charge of things, uh, you believe in a future, you believe in, in moving into that, uh, you have hope, you have expectations, you have desires and goals and dreams. So I think our culture, as it becomes irreligious, has lost sort of that that anchor that this the world's going to keep spinning. What's the reason people don't want to have kids today? Well, there's a couple, but one of them is, well, the environment's so bad. Yeah. You know, the planet's spinning out of control. It's all going to burn up. So why would I have kids for that? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so so what are they? They've taken the certitude of God and His maintenance of His creation and replaced it with the incertitude of a burning up planet. And I, I would agree with that. I think a lot of times that is a cover. Sure. Because you have, because I hear that all the time. Well, I don't want to have kids. And this is really what you have with that is a couple that's like, man, we really, really want to have kids, but we're just so concerned about the environment. A lot of times it's, man, we've got a, we've got a life. It's kind of cushy. It's kind of good. Man, a kid would really mess that up. Right. Oh, I'm doing a good thing. And I'll give you an example of this. Somebody, uh, this kind of made the rounds on Twitter uh, a week or so ago. Somebody actually tweeted this out. Uh, Somebody with some influence 
said, uh, like me, I'm never planning on having kids. I would much rather own a Porsche and have a Portuguese water dog and golden doodle. Long term, it's cheaper. And then here you go, better for the environment. And we'll never tell you that it hates you or ask you to pay for college. Later <laughs> might on, bite you, though. <laughs> <laughs> Later on, the same person said, kids are the new boats. Pets are the new kids. Plants are the new pets. Let me explain. Like, yes, kids are nice, but most people can't afford them. So it's nice to have friends with one, but not have one yourself. Pets are the affordable version of kids today for millennials and Gen Z, and plants are now the more affordable uh, pets. So this person wow. carefully thought through this. Yeah, I mean, and just and just said it out loud. Like, that's, right. I think, what a lot of people are thinking, but this person said this out, like, this is the way I'm thinking. I just, I want stuff and things, and I don't wow. want to have children. Wow. Yeah, and one thing that I say to the teens often is, man, there, there's two things you can invest in in this life that will last forever, and that's God's word and people. And, and I yeah. think there's a natural, even satanic attack against anything eternal yeah. and valuing eternal beings who have a soul that will live somewhere forever. Satan's going to naturally devalue that because um, that's, especially if they're in the image of God, um, mm. and he doesn't want God's image to be. There's another big word, proliferated Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Um, uh, on the planet. And again, it goes back to what God initially told them. Multiply. Yeah. And Satan's like, hey, whatever God tell him to do, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to stop that. Okay. Right? The first, I mean, <laughs> I tell people sometimes, and it's funny to watch their reactions. I'm like, you realize the first command given to humanity was to have children. They kind of look at you like, what? Like, yeah. Go back to the beginning. Be fruitful and multiply. That's the first thing that God tells humanity. And, um, and so it's not surprising that Satan does everything he can uh, to overthrow that, to destroy that. Let's keep going. Uh, let's look at God's pattern for men and women. We'll talk about this uh, more in uh, weeks to come. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to skip around here a little bit, and we'll go up to section. It's called Men and Women Complement Each Other. And this is with an E, complement, not an I, complement. Complement means that you say something nice about something, someone. Like I yeah. typically will compliment Matt at the beginning of these episodes. And avoid doing so to me. <laughs> Okay, well, no need to be bitter. All right. <laughs> and then complement means that you work well together. You know, like Matt and I, we work well together on right. the show. <laughs> I'm done. There's another, and that was a compliment. All right. Um, so men and women, they complement each other. Men and women are made different, but this difference is not arbitrary. As Genesis teaches, women was made to be an help meet for Adam. And we'll talk about that more next week. The idea of a help meet, uh, we sometimes like throw that together in our mind, like an help meet. And really the word there, the first word is a helper. Help. And the second fit. word means fit, fit. fitting, yes. or proper. Yeah. Compliments. Right. That's where we get the word yeah. from. Um, so in what ways do the differences between men and women help each other out? God, this was God's design. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a result of the fall. God made men and women differently so that they could help each other out. In what ways do the differences between men and women help each other? Yeah. It's I, a, I mean, the, the, li the list to choose from is immense. Right. <laughs> right. I and mean, how many times... Have you, has your spouse saved you? Have you saved your spouse from some fall, from some trip, from some yeah. problem? I mean, obviously, anytime you have somebody, it's better for two to walk together, mm -hmm. you know, because then you can yeah. have mm -hmm. help for each other when the way gets tough. But, but particularly with a man and a woman for a life, um, you know, it's I think the list is really, really long, right. and how 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 they complement each other and, and work well together. It's really exciting, especially when you bring kids into the mix. Uh, there are things my wife could do. She she didn't sleep through the night for like fourteen years, and <laughs> that's, I, true. that's not really an exaggeration. Oh, and and she still could get up and function in the morning. Yeah, like is I, I amazing. I, I don't know how she did it. I couldn't do it. Uh, I I would help as I could, but I couldn't do what she did. I literally could not accomplish it. 
And then there's things that I do that she does, she gets tired from and, and I can push on with that. So it's really a blessing to have both. And I think when the culture is working well, all those roles are elevated mm-hmm. and everybody values the best things that everybody brings to the table and the community is, is the better off for it. What we have now is if you don't uh, reject classical norms and you don't say, well, I'm a woman. So as a woman, I have to reject, you know, being a mother and being uh, a keeper of the home and, and keep, uh, keep you know, being a, a wife. I have to get rid of all those things. And I have to do this. If you don't embrace that new ethos, you're part of the problem. Uh, you don't really understand what it means to be a woman. And so they denigrate the classical expression of that. And the family loses so much when that happens because there's very few men who want to do any of those things right. and are drawn to any of those things. So now the family's lost them completely. Um, the family hurts. The culture hurts. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's it's so bad culturally, and and you you know it, it's it's a huge it's a huge detriment to the whole society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, going back to that word complement, you know, complete. You mm-hmm. need you need you need these two pieces to complete, and um, really, our culture seems to be pushing towards a neutral, middle, amorphous blend. So. You know, feminism, uh, especially in the more radical forms, is pushing women to be men. You know, anything a man can do, you ought to be able to do. Um, and then at the same time, it's seeking to denigrate masculinity. Well, you know, we, I mean, in many people's minds, there's just a half a step, if that, between masculinity and toxic masculinity. Right, like, right. masculinity itself is the problem. To have strength and courage and to, you know, these things that are... Can, can be true of women as well, but are typically associated as masculine virtues uh, or that are just different than, than men. Those are considered to be problematic. Right. And rather than channeling those and saying, no, those are good things. Let's give them a good end and let's make sure that they're working towards that good end. We try and, and negate them and we just say, no, 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 don't do that. Don't be that come over here in the middle. And so we, we try and make women a little bit more like men. We try and make men a little bit more like women and now you have this amorphous blend that that doesn't accomplish what God designed to accomplish because God designed two halves that when they come together, uh, something beautiful results and progress is made and culture is ha- happens and families are built and strengthened. And you lose that when it's, hey, let's, let's all meet in the middle. Yeah, and I think just thinking about how, and my mind naturally goes here, how my wife has complimented me. And I think it's just life experience. I mean, I had, coming into marriage and I still do just the rough edges that she has smoothed out <laughs> has been pretty incredible. We're and, all grateful. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, hopefully you continue to be more grateful as she continues to right. straighten me out. She yeah. reins me in yeah. when I need that. Yeah. And then also uh, she's made me more nurturing. And I mean, even last night we had a, a sick child in our home and a part of me woke up in the middle of the night and... All of me woke up in the middle of the night, but <laughs> I, I, I mixed together pinky. my thoughts. Yeah, just just my hand. Um, so I woke up in the middle of the night, and my child had come to my my wife because she was sick, and she was going to her for for nurturing. And I was part of me is like, man, why didn't she come to me? And I'm like, well, I'm not as good at it. <laughs> I'm like, go back to bed. I'm tired. And uh, and she's made me more gentle. And um, there, there's motivation that I have added into her life that wasn't necessarily there before right. um, and, and movement. And I think we do, even as Ben alluded to, we've got a bunch of people who just are afraid to do anything because the extremes are frowned upon. You know, Matt, you said a couple of episodes ago that 
if we were going to summarize what's the difference between men and women, that men are the ones who are driving towards a goal Mm -hmm. and women are the ones who are encouraging and supporting and making sure the group sticks together. I think even within marriage, I've seen that where, you know, it's the dad. (laughs) I mean, it's the stereotype, right? Of the dad who's like, we need to get out of the house. Right. And it's the mom who's like, yes, but we need to make sure the diaper bag's packed and we got all this (laughs) stuff together. Right. And that's, that's maybe a little bit of a silly example, but I've seen that dynamic at work in my marriage where I'm the one who's like, all right, we need to go. We need to do this. And so in, in most co- times, sometimes my wife is the driver and, you know, it's like, all right, we need to get the house picked up. Like, okay, yeah, sure. Let's, let's work on that. But you know, that it's the, the, the men who tend to be, all right, let's go, let's push forward. And the, the wives who come along and, and maybe temper us a little bit and help us to remind, you know, the kids are tired. They need to break, you know, let's get some water. To remember to bring people with us, not do it alone. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. There's a, there's a, um, a line from, uh, the Lord of the Rings novels that maybe Adam Smalley can correct for me on this one because he's the expert on this. But, <laughs> oh, he but is. Cool. in discussing the Ents and the Entwives and some of the problems that arose between the Ents and the Entwives is that the Entwives wanted a different country than the Ents wanted because what the Entwives wanted was peace. And by peace, they meant that things would stay where they put them. <laughs> <laughs> and and I just you 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 think of some of those characters in that book, and you realize how much he's discussing us as humans, or, or at least dealing with those ideas. And 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 that is a lot. Like a woman does want things to stay where they're put, where they're supposed to be. When it's time for the house to be locked up at night, I, I tell you, I care nothing about the alarm system. It doesn't do anything for me. I don't feel better. I don't want to go down and turn it on. And she can't go to sleep unless I turn that alarm on because everything's done. It's locked. It's sealed. It's that's the way it is. It stays where it's supposed to be. And I think that's, uh, you know, recognizing that and benefiting from that. It's a benefit. It's not, it's, it's, it's a good thing. And, um, you know, it definitely caught each other. It's funny. We're the opposite. I'm the one. <laughs> you guys said the alarm. I, I, I dude, I I'm don't protecting wanna... the homestead. My wife threw up at a camp where they didn't even, they didn't even lock their door. And, and for the first few years of our marriage, I'm like, did you lock the door? She's like, uh, <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Anyone can walk in. <laughs> you got the Jersey kid over here. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think my, my, I, I, I imagine my, from Philly. <laughs> I imagine myself like leaping down the stairs of the intruder and like, you know, tackling him and like throwing him out. Well, like, man, that'd be his worst day if he broke into my house. Right. Because your stairs are super tall. Well, no, just, I would attack him and that would be. That oh would yeah. Be, oh, obviously. Obviously. Yeah, right. We all, we all saw that one. Sorry. I was, no, I mean, that I was, was like racking my brain trying I to was, figure out why that would be bad for the guy. I was now finishing I it, yeah. your story yeah. and saying, you know, oh, you'd almost, you almost look forward to someone breaking in. Cause right. like, this is going to yeah. be his worst day. I'll I've been waiting him. for it. We yeah. Aggress, that's right. No robbers coming into Ben's house and going, Oh, I was going to rob this place. But look at those stairs. Oh, I don't know. The baby gate might, uh, might deter him. All right. Well, um, We'll come back to this next week. We're going to keep talking about men and women and going through biblically and saying, okay, what is it that the Bible calls men to do and to be? What is it that the Bible calls women to, to do and to be? And uh, so we're looking forward to that. Remember, uh, the notes for these are available on our website. And so there's a link in the <clears throat> show note description. You can go there, download the full teacher versions, read through these, be thinking through the questions. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing everyone next week as we talk through Uh, men and women and what the Bible has to say about both of them. See ya. Goodbye. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.